0: And a hearty welcome back to the home medic training uh, for home inspectors. This particular subject we're going to be talking about exterior cladding. That's basically, that is the brick, stucco, siding, clapboard, whatever you have on the exterior of a home. Um, Most of uh, the items that I find on, on a lot of the inspections that I do, do happen on the exterior of the house. I believe that the reason for that is that people, of course, live on the inside and so they're going to be more aware of the inside type issues and the exterior tends to go more abused. Of course, it's the exterior that is keeping your house protected from water and mold and critters and all the things that you don't want inside the house. So you do need to do a very good job on the exterior and, of course among the systems on the exterior it's your exterior cladding that is probably the uh, the biggest system. Second up would be probably the roof. So as you go around with your clients you want to make sure that you uh, you do this one carefully and make sure that they understand the issues. Trust me they appreciate it when you when you do go around with them and Share your knowledge with them, make sure that they understand what the issues are and are not, how big an issue those things are, whether you got a mountain or a molehill, and then you can answer their questions respectfully. Take a lot of time with these guys, whether you're talking about exterior cladding or not, because they appreciate that it, it uh, makes you a lot more likely to be referred and a lot less likely to be sued. So the first thing I wanna talk about is, is brick. You know, I mentioned we have the many systems. Brick is, very, is a very common type of exterior system on residential homes. Now, as you're inspecting, there are a number of things you can look for, for if you've got a brick exterior. Um, and we're ignoring foundations this time. The first thing that comes to mind for me is, is sometimes you got block foundation That happens on older homes, but that's foundations, and so we're not going to cover that. This is strictly exterior cladding. So you got the brick going, and brick is, of course, one of the reasons why it's so popular is because it pretty much lasts forever. Now, that's only if the structural support beneath it is solid. Sometimes what you have is maybe a home on a hillside, maybe the constructed the home on loose soil, maybe it wasn't virgin soil, maybe you got geologic movement beneath the house, for whatever reason, let's say that the structural support beneath the home becomes compromised. So um, if you happen to be an engineer and you've gone through your mechanics of materials class, you'll know that most items When they fail structurally, they'll fail on a 45-degree angle. The exception to that is going to be wood, which generally fails in the middle. But brick is generally not going to fail on a 45 because in between the brick you've got the mortar. And so for brick, a structural crack is going to look like a stair-step crack. It's going to be approximately on a 45-degree angle from beginning to end. But in reality, it's going to it's going to look more like a stair-step system, and uh, so if you've got that at the outer corners of a house, you know that that house is settling, and that is certainly a subject that you need to be talking about with your clients. So that's item number one on on brick, and that is an important one. You want to make sure that. Now, if you've got a crack, and I've seen this a number of times as well, let's say you've got a vertical crack through brick, pretty much in the middle of the house. What's happening is that that home has a, it's basically high-centered. And sometimes you'll get a vertical crack. Sometimes you'll get two stair-step cracks that take the form of a V-shape. And it just depends on the size of or the, the home and what's going on there. In either case, you know, Especially, of course, if the, if the cracking is wider at the top and less wide at the bottom, you know that it's hinging on a, a point at the bottom. Of course, the reverse could also be the case. It rarely happens, but if you've got a wider crack at the bottom and a thinner crack at the top, you know that the home is actually settling that direction. So those are the sort of things you want to be aware of. Also as relates to brick, let's say that maybe you've got holes in the brick, maybe it's for the AC unit, maybe it's for a vent, whatever it is. If you've got maybe a 3 inch diameter hole in the brick or a 2 inch diameter, whatever it is, and then you got a 1 inch diameter pipe, um, or maybe you even have a 4 inch diameter opening for the dryer vent. Um, you can very often and easily have holes between the brick and whatever you're trying to vent or exhaust or or bring out via whatever means. So you want to pay attention to those because that's that's how mice and wasps and spiders and all those sorts of things are getting into the home. And you get points for noticing those sorts of things as you're doing inspections for your client. Now in older homes You also want to notice, and this happens most often on chimneys, but you also want to notice the condition of the masonry. If it is spalling on the surface uh, of the the brick or the masonry, you're going to have basically what happens is water gets inside the brick, it freezes, the freezing pops the the face off, and then now you've got uh, the face that is gone. Quite often you will see a chimney, especially, where that's happened over and over again, and you got this big rubble pile beneath the chimney. When this is happening, yes, the masonry needs to be repaired, but when you do so, make sure you point out that the reason why that masonry is being damaged is because you got water coming in from above. If the interior of that masonry was not wet and freezing, then you wouldn't have that freeze-thaw cycle, and you wouldn't have... The, uh, the spalling of the face. Sometimes it's not the masonry that's actually being damaged. Sometimes it is the, the mortar or the grout. The technical term to repair the mortar is to repoint. And make sure when you use that word, yes, use the word to prove that you know what the word is, but then you're going to want to stop and explain what the layman meaning of repointing is, and that's just that you're repairing the, the, um, the grout. So that is, that is done by, of course, uh, a mason, somebody that can make sure that happens. The, in more recent construction, um, the mortar is designed to fail first, protecting the brick. Um, back in the day, you know, like the 1920s, etc., that was not the case. And so you can see both, especially in the older homes. You'll see where the, the grout um, has failed and you'll have bricks just dangling loose. And that is certainly something that you're going to want to be atten- attentive to because if you got loose bricks, especially on the chimney overhead, those things could fall at any time, windstorm, whatever, and now they're falling on somebody's children. That would be a career ender. Make sure you pay attention to those sorts of things. So, um, stucco is the next subject. Now, I want to back up with stucco because a lot of times your buyers, for example, are only going to see the top layer of what a stucco system is. So, you're going to quite often have to explain what I'm about to explain to you, and that's that stucco is a multi-layer system. It starts with the actually the framed wall in your house that and the plywood or particle board or whatever goes over that that is the structure support to this whole system over that goes your water barrier and the water barrier is generally going to be a tar paper now tar paper it makes a pretty good short-term water barrier but it is not going to be a long-term thing and we'll talk more about that later later so you've got this uh, this water barrier and that's great but the tar paper can rot in the sun so we don't want it to be in the sun the way that uh, we continue then with the stucco system so that you're not getting uv rays that are attacking the tar paper is we're going to add chicken wire and we're going to hold that down tight so that uh, the chicken wire will hold on a base coat of stucco. Now, this, the, the base coat is going to be roughly three-eighths of an inch thick. It's vertical concrete. It's going to be placed on, um, you know, with a trowel or whatever, whatever means that the, um, that the technician is intending to do. But that is vertical concrete. One thing that is certain with concrete in any form is that it is going to crack. So the idea with stucco is that you let it crack and once it is theoretically done cracking what you're going to do is finish the stucco system now with a finish coat. Now the finish coat is very thin and it is thin enough that when it cracks you're not going to see those hairline cracks and so you've got basically a finished system. The base coat and the finish coat well the base coat is really your UV barrier and your finish coat is basically something to cover the cracks in the base coat. So now you got a finished system. The reason why knowing this clearly is important is quite often, as a matter of fact, pretty much every house that has stucco is going to have anywhere between a few and a few hundred stucco cracks. Some of them will be less wide, some of them will be as obvious as the uh, as the horse in the room and your your client is going to know why or why not that stucco crack is a problem and you're going to have to not just give them a yes or no answer you're going to uh, if you want to do a good business you're going to want to be able to explain to them why it is or is not a problem usually stucco cracks are very much acceptable because it is going to happen like I say on any home. The key difference is if you've got a crack that is wide enough that it could allow UV rays to get past that crack and rot out your tar paper. Now you've got a crack through your finish coat, you've got a crack through your base coat, and you got a crack through the tar paper. Now a sprinkler system or even a rainstorm could get water in behind all of that and now we're trying to rot out the the wood in, in the home the the frame and and the particle board or what have you so at that point it becomes a problem now in addition to that i would mentioned that that the tar paper is a is a good short-term barrier stucco is designed so that it is thoroughly soaked in for example a rainstorm and then it dries out and it's ready for the next rainstorm a week or whatever later What it is not designed to do is to be thoroughly and routinely soaked, which is something that happens if you've got, for example, a sprinkler system that is hitting that house every day. So if you're an inspector in a state that has irrigation systems and if the irrigation system at this house is soaking the house, that's a problem pretty much regardless of whatever exterior siding you've got. If it's brick, brick is a sponge. It's better, but it's still a sponge. Stucco is still a problem. Siding, clapboard, whatever. You really, you need to write up when you've got sprinklers hitting the house. In addition, quite often you'll see nasty staining if, if you've got a stucco system where the flashing in the rain gutter system is not right quite often what happens is you'll get water running down that roof and there may or may not be a rain gutter system but whether there is or not quite often you'll get a good deal of water that is sliding that is not being captured by the rain gutter and instead it's going between the rain gutter and the stucco wall and it's running down that wall now in that particular case this home has issues that need to be addressed and the reason why that is, is you remember, you remember I mentioned that a stucco system is designed to be soaked, but not for a long period of time. If you've got water and snow, that sort of thing, that is continuously running down for weeks or months, which is going to happen in a snowy environment, uh, that stucco is going to be wet for a very long period of time. You got problems, it's also gonna look bad, and you're gonna see a lot of a lot more cracks there, and the the client is is gonna to want to know, especially in that sort of area, how big a problem they have. Now, the solution to that, <clears throat> assuming that it's not bad yet, is what's called kick out flashing. Now, flashing again is sheet metal, it's just a, a fancy term for a piece of sheet metal, but that flashing goes at the edge of the roof between the roof and the stucco wall and it forces water into the rain gutter and doesn't allow it to go down between the edge of the rain gutter and the, uh, and the wall. So all the water coming off the roof goes into the rain gutter and not down the stucco wall. This is the kind of thing that you need to prevent a problem with a stucco wall. Now, sometimes you'll see a, a, a wall that is just trash, and at that point, um, it is hard to say, you know, and no inspector is Superman, and none of us have X-ray vision. It would be nice if we did, but we don't. So at that point in time, you can uh, maybe refer that sort of thing if, if the stucco just looks nasty. You know, you don't know if it's good, you don't know if it's bad, but you can refer that to a stucco technician, who can do those sorts of tests you are hired to do only what can be done with your eyes and your hands and your brain Uh, you can't do destructive testing and if you start drilling into walls as part of the inspection that would get yourself in trouble and I'm not going to go so far as to say it's a career ender but it will leave you with some very pissed sellers who are going to expect you to be repairing the holes and considering how that goes, quite often, the, you know, if you've got a quarter-inch hole, sometimes those, uh, the, the seller will just want you to repair an entire face. So don't do any sort of destructive testing of any nature without first having approval in writing from the seller. There are some inspectors who are licensed by and approved to do stucco testing You want to make sure you get all your ducks in a row. If you want to do that, great. But you want to make sure you get your ducks in a row before you actually do that sort of a thing. So we talked about the flashing at the drip lines. You also want to take a long, hard look at the flashing between the interfaces. Now that might be an interface between the walls, between the chimney and the roof, whatever it is. Purpose of flashing is to force water to go where you want it to go. If flashing is not there or it's improperly done, you're going to end up with water getting into your chimney, or, or maybe you've got improper flashing at a window frame or a door frame. And now the water is going down into that window frame, it's getting into the walls. Now you've got rot mold termites, and you don't need any of the above. So, um, stucco. Now, I should also mention Ephes, also known as Ephes. It was commonly installed in the 90s. The strength and weakness, if you listen to the manufacturers, you go to their website, they will say that the strength of efas is that you don't get water in behind the wall. The weakness is that when you do, it stays there. Now, since about the year 2000, they have adjusted the way the efas was installed and uh, basically provided a weep hole at the base so that any water that does get in behind can be uh, can weep out now what's the difference between stucco and ephus stucco is a system as i described before you've got your your structure the tar paper the base coat the finish coat etc the difference is that with ephus you've got a uh, almost half-inch thick layer, sometimes less, of, of a foam type of material. It can be different. So, uh, again, the problem with that is that you've got hose bib interfaces, you've got window interfaces, you've got sprinklers hitting the house, you got rainstorms, and when, not if, but when water gets in behind there, if the home was built prior to 2000, usually during the 90s, that water just stays there and then you're back to rot mold termites. So if the way to find out if you have Efas, there's a couple of ways. If you can get underneath that stucco wall and see what's going on, quite often you'll be able to see that, that foam. Usually it's a blue foam, fairly obvious. If you can't, or whether or not you can, you can always knock on the, on the wall itself. If it sounds more hollow, then you probably have an ethos Because if it sounds more like that drum sound, it's um, you've got that styrofoam material that uh, that is going to give you a more hollow sound. By contrast, if you and you'll want to try this a few times before before you go inspecting and uh, and sounding confident. But if you have a more solid um, sound, then, you know, kind of like your sound you're knocking on a sidewalk, then you've got a standard stucco wall. So, um, <clears throat> another way to tell is if you can see the width or the thickness of that wall, ethos is going to be thicker because you've got that extra layer of material, so it's going to be quarter inch uh, thicker, give or take. So, these are all ways. Now, if if you've got an EFAS that was built during the 90s uh, that sort of thing is certainly an inspection point and you're going to want to check on that and be able to tell your clients what EFAS is what its problems are etc. Okay and as always there's more information uh, that you can gather um, I'm, I can get you to a certain level but your own research is always a good plan and there's, there's places you can go Notchi.org is one of them. Very good, uh, very good membership to have. Now, siding. We've talked about brick and stucco thus far. This time, I want to talk about siding issues and what you need to know and notice and write up when you're doing siding. So, siding is certainly one of the most waterproof sort of materials. You can go with a plastic material. Sometimes, in the older homes, you'll see an aluminum that's been painted. Those are great, and they are pretty water resistant, which is good, but it still has its advantages. When siding gets damaged, as quite often happens, you can get cracks or holes, or sometimes you get movement, sometimes the siding will come up in a windstorm, and then you can get critters behind there. But again, you'll get homeowners that will decide to put an AC unit in, or some sort of a tube, and... You'll have holes there in the siding where you can have the wasps get in uh, or you're losing insulative value because you don't have that exterior. Sometimes people will put in a a deck and then they'll take the deck off and you've got a big hole where the deck rails used to be. So those sorts of things you're going to want to write up. Again, interfaces with siding between... Between the siding and whatever it is, the the deck or maybe you've got stucco, those are places you're going to want to look more carefully, see if we're losing heat, if we're allowing critters in, uh, if we're getting water in from the sprinklers, all of those sorts of things. And then of course if you've got a piece of siding that's just flapping in the wind, uh, of course you need to write that up so that that can be reattached not that hard to do and there are plenty of people that can address siding issues. Clapboard is another one of them. Now depending on where you are in the country uh, it can be harder you know some it's it's not very common depending again on where you are bricks stuck on siding are far more common but clapboard can happen and you do need to be prepared to um, to do an inspection on that sort of thing. After all, you won't know what the home has until you show up. And if you're weak on clapboard and that's what it's got, then you're going to look bad. And again, that's, nobody wants to look bad and, and lose the, the face and the business that comes with not being prepared. So, um, clapboard, usually a, a wood-type material. It clap, Wood has its advantages. It's got a particular look to it. People like that. Um, and I'm going to lump in all sorts of lumber into this category looks great and but it is expensive to install you got to do a lot more maintenance and when people do not do the maintenance adequately then you can get failure which is basically uh cupping cracking splitting what have you all those sorts of things Uh, and when that happens it's you know if you got a, a piece of clapboard or wood that is completely split up you, you can't save that and then you've got to start deciding whether you're going to as a homeowner whether you're going to replace this piece and that piece and the piece over there and the one up high or if you're just going to throw it all away and start over again so that's the sort of thing that you're going to want to be paying attention to on clapboard now I Obviously, any sort of a wood exterior is going to be more susceptible to weather. It's going to be susceptible to rot. You can have termites in there. Um, Maybe the stuff is treated, again, depending on what part of the country you're inspecting in. If you're in a dry part of the country, termites are much less likely to be a problem because you're probably going to have subterranean termites. And the termite training will be a different segment than this one. but the 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 rot and and that sort of thing is probably the the big factor that you should be looking for with clapboard. Now, if the home was built prior to let's say 1979, pretty good chance that that the paint for the clapboard will contain lead. Now, and as I talk. In a different segment about lead, I'll tell you what materials to use for lead-based paint testing and all that, but for the purposes of this particular discussion, be aware that clapboard, where it's been painted, it has to be painted uh, pretty good chance, 40-50% chance that it contains lead, and then you're going to need to explain the whole lead thing to your, your clients, so more on that subject in, um, in the segment on lead. Look for <clears throat> exposed nails. Now, of course, when you got any sort of a wood material, you're going to be, it's going to be usually nailed on. And, and when things start getting rugged uh, and you're getting poor maintenance, those nails and the clapboard could fall off. Well, maybe the clapboard gets thrown away. Hopefully those nails are not still sitting there in the soil. If they are, then, of course, you've got this orange nail just waiting to penetrate some child's foot or, or the inspector's foot or the homeowner's foot. In any case, you become the hero when you point that sort of thing out. It gathers a lot of respect for you when, when you can point out safety issues that are not directly associated with an inspection, and this is one of them. If there's, there's clapboard, look for nails. And point out how careful they need to be to make sure that nobody ends up in the hospital because those nails are now loose. Water penetration, critters, uh, everybody is concerned about mice and spiders and wasps, those sorts of things getting into their home. So again, a good way to be a hero is to point out where there's openings and they don't have to be very large even for mice but where there are openings that are going to allow a, a, a critter of whatever sort into the wall and talk about how you can seal those. Usually that's going to be something of a caulk nature. I don't like expanding foam because even though it fills voids, it's, um, it's hard to finish it and make it look good and then it quite often ends up like looking like somebody didn't know what they were doing but those entryways need to be sealed up uh, however 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 that needs to happen and that's going to be a case-by-case basis. Hopefully again you've got a little bit of construction background and you can decide based on what you see at the moment what the best way to seal those is. My message to you is those need to be sealed. Now finally and as always career enders. We've talked about a couple of ways to, uh, to end your career as relates to exterior cladding. One of them would be to ignore a stair-step crack. So if, if you've got that going on a home, you certainly want to notice that. You want to write that in as a high-priority issue, um, especially if it looks like we've got a considerable amount of structural settlement. Now all homes move and so if you've got a hairline crack that may be acceptable on the other hand if you've got a quarter inch or wider crack that is not and never will be acceptable Um, it it's an indication that you've got well I shouldn't say never will be acceptable again it's going to be on a case-by-case basis but there needs to be a very involved discussion about what that half-inch crack means sometimes it can be acceptable if you've got somebody who is uh, very willing to take on a project of a house. And, you know, let's, let's say that you got a house that's sliding off the hill and uh, you can do structural piers. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, also on a stream bed or something akin to that. Maybe you're on a loamy soil. But you can actually salvage a home like that. You've got to do structural piers. And <clears throat> then we're not going to, you know, then we can address the structural settlement. But failing to notice the structural settlement is going to result in some uh, very angry phone calls at midnight to your phone and you will get the call from their lawyer and you will have some unhappy realtors who are going to spread the word that you suck. So you don't need any of the above. You're going to want to make sure you notice the stair step cracks. Point out your knowledge. Make sure that your your knowledge gets described clearly, and that your your home buyers understand clearly what you're telling them. Make sure that they are clear on whether you're talking about a mountain or a molehill. And as you know, uh, I quite often describe the $10 fix and the $10,000 fix. For example, if you've got the the gap as we were talking about in the clapboard, your um, You've got if you got gaps, quite often that can be sealed up maybe with a tube of caulk or whatever. That's the ten-dollar fix. If it doesn't happen, quite often you get whatever sort of critter problems. Maybe you get an infestation. Maybe you've got water that's getting in through whatever source, and maybe you got a mold factory, and now you got the ten thousand-dollar fix. Make sure that you pass that sort of information on to your clients so that they can understand how you are not only saving them the three or four or five hundred dollars that you're charging them but you're saving them tens of thousands of dollars in the little tips that you provide this is how you again how you get and keep business so uh... for more information homemedicusa.com natchi.org is always a good choice Stay in business. I, I, I need you to stay in business. Represent the Home medic brand well. And you do that by serving and respecting people, not just your clients and not just the realtor who referred you, but even the realtor or, not the even the sellers. Quite often, um, in in one personal example of mine, I had a seller basically call me, to say that the time that I had um, arranged with my buyer wasn't going to work for him. My, my thought process in my head was, I don't care whether it works for you or not, because I don't need you to be there or not. As a matter of fact, I prefer that you weren't there, so deal with it. And basically, I reluctantly... Uh, agreed to do another time, and then he said something on the order of, well, if that's what you want. And I told him, that's not what I want, that's what you want. Um, That, of course, pissed him off, and I ended up having the seller say, "We'll, we'll let a home inspector in, but not that guy. And that actually ended up costing me points with the realtor as well. So be respectful and to everybody and uh, then people like you and then you get more business and uh, happy 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 all day long we have covered bricks uh, brick issues that's masonry stucco siding clapboard career enders and given you a basic level of information on how to inspect your exterior cladding on any on any home uh, in in the country now, of course, in your particular area, there will be unusualnesses. Um, there's, there's materials, for example, in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, that are a problem. You will want to research those on your own. Again, this is not a full encyclopedia of what you need to know, but it does kind of get you to first base maybe second uh, it's not a home run and you should definitely do your own research talk to everybody that you know about this subject and all others to to make sure that you can be the most knowledgeable most prepared home inspector that you can be of course you won't know everything from the beginning but we're get, we're going to get you started to the point that you can run and then you'll learn It's good to have you on board. Make me proud.